Now, guys, we're going to end up, a, we're going to close up a paragraph tonight, uh, uh, a paragraph that we've been on for some time uh, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap up uh, this verses 29 and 30 of Romans chapter 8. Um, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Last week, uh, I made, uh, I spent my time talking to you about the word glorified or glorification. Um, and you may recall, um, I'm sure you might not, but uh, I made a great deal about the two words that are, that are found there, uh, the, those whom he uh, justified. Um, and then I drew this little line and I said glorified. And what is normally found in the middle of those two words is, of course, sanctification. And I pointed out, or at least sought to, that Paul does not include that in that chain of five words. He doesn't include this word because I think everybody knows what sanctification is. That's the process that we're all in as we're trying to uh, make progress over our own sin and flesh and, and become more conformed to the image of Christ. But but Paul doesn't include that. That's a very significant omission. He jumps directly from justified to glorified. And, and the point that I was trying to make to you last week is that this sanctification, the process that we're in now, the, the, the ups and the downs, the, the positives and the negatives, the, the successes and the failures, and, you know, the, the four steps forward and the three steps backward kind of thing that we're in right now, as as as, um, as vexing as that whole process is, that is sanctification, sanctification, the reason that Paul leaves it out is because your sanctification makes no, it makes no difference, I was going to say significant, but it makes no difference in your standing in terms of your justification and thus your being glorified. I mean, um, so often we, we uh, trouble ourselves over, oh my, I've had such a significant failure in my life, I, I begin to wander around in my own soul to find out whether I'm really real. Paul, to communicate another grounds of your certainty and confidence and, and assurance, leaves that whole thing out. The thing that we tend to major on and say, well, let me just look around in my soul and find out how I'm doing. You know, did I take my Bible? Did I do this? You know, I, am I doing all those things that I'm supposed to do because my church tells me I'm supposed to do them? Paul doesn't even mention them. And the idea is, if this has happened to you guys, no matter how this is going, and for some of us it goes well for a time, and for others of us it goes back. No matter how this is going, this is assured. This is certain. Your, your glorification doesn't depend on your sanctification. It depends on your justification. And if there has been a, a, um, a, a closure, a saving closure with Christ, guys, as important as this is to our enjoyment of, of, of our walk with Christ, it has nothing to do with your standing in Christ. So that's what we what I, I made a big to-do about last week, and I hope some of that got across. Oh, and the other thing that I was talking about is that there was an, there was an, imp, there was an implication here of the perseverance of the saints. You might remember that. That is, this happened, at least in my life, it happened in 1970. And uh, this, we don't yet know, but 
somewhere it's going to be around 2074. Um, somewhere in there. But guys, what, what this not simply implies that, but assures that. But the implication is that I am going to persevere to the end. And we talked about how God keeps his people and and uh, the reason that I'm going to persevere is that because God is going to keep me. He, he's, uh, he's the one that preserves me. All right? Now, I made a big deal out of that. Um, and, and what I want to do tonight is, before we move away, I, I really want to conclude this whole discussion. Um, because I want to show you a text that seems to contradict this. Um, some of you might already know it, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. We're going to take a look at that text because, as I'm suggesting, it seems to contradict this. Now, guys, let, let me, let me, before I go jumping into this, I want to tell you something. I want to try to explain something to you about, I, I hope you believe me in this, and I hope you will... Guys, the reason that I'm going to take you to Hebrews, 4, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, is in no way to try and silence any kind of theological critic. Guys, you've got to know that this certainty, this eternal security, this position that we hold dear, I think many of you do, is a position that is that is denied in the Roman Catholic world, in the Assembly of God, and in the United Methodist world. I mean, a goodly part of the professing Christian community does not buy into this. Now, my point is, I'm not taking you here because I'm trying to silence any critic. I'm not trying to be sectarian in this. I want you to know that my, my 106% of my motive is pastoral. Because I am convinced that so many of the people of God are robbed of their sense of safety and certainty because they stumble over a text like this. Interestingly, um, I, you know, I'm off on Mondays. And I work out on Monday mornings. I'm, I'm you know, looking pretty bad. I don't shave and, you know, I don't even shower until after I work out. And I'm not, I'm not what you would call comely looking, but um, uh, normally when I walk in, uh, there's familiar faces in there. Well, I'm on the bench doing my bench presses, uh, you know, 170 pounds I'm benching. And uh, uh, why do you laugh at that? That's, I, I, uh, anyway, I'm not, I, and this, this, he's not a kid, he's like 22 years old. Some of you know him, he comes up to me and he says, uh, Dr. Young, uh, you're not going to talk to me about something. And I said, well, sure. And you know what he wanted to talk to me about? He wanted to talk to me about Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. You know, guys, I, I, I just want to take you to this real quick, and then we're going to come back here, because I want you to take a look at the text. And we'll, but do you remember when Peter denied Christ? Do you remember that? And, and um, it was a big, ugly scene, and then Jesus resurrects. And then the closing chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus meets with Peter. He meets with Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? You remember that saying? He does it three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Now, in every time, Peter says, well, sure, I love you, Lord. In response to this question, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do. And he says, okay, here's the way, Peter, 
that you can demonstrate your love for me, you go feed those sheep. You go tend those lambs. You want to demonstrate your love for me, says Jesus. I'll tell you how to do it. You feed the sheep. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think Jesus had in mind? What do you think he thought would? Uh, what did you think that he was telling Peter to do? Go get some hay and oats together. Who are the sheep? Who are the lambs? That would be us. And he's saying, if you want to demonstrate your love for me, then you go feed them. Now, all of that to say, guys, all of doctrine is, is designed to feed you. It's not designed to make you sectarian and, and to make you doctrinaire and to make you argue in the halls of your church. It's designed for your comfort. Gang, uh, things like the Trinity, as difficult as they are, have incredible ramifications for how we view our whole philosophical system. I mean, we're not going to get into that tonight, but I'm just telling you, we don't talk about the Trinity so that we can all, you know, regurgitate it in the office on Monday. It's designed to express a pastoral concern that sheep, that the people of God be fed well. So I want you to know, I'm going to take you over here. But it's not because I want you to be able to show them dang Methodists a thing or two. That's not my concern. My concern is that you be able to enjoy this. And I'm convinced that so many of you stumble over this because you've read that. This young man that I was talking to Monday morning, he was stumbling over this. I mean, we got to the discussion of eternal security and all that because he said, well, you know, I was reading in Hebrews 6 and Dr. Young, it really Well, it does say some things that are troubling. But I don't think they'll be troubling if you'll listen tonight. Tell you a quick story and then we'll jump into it. Go, why don't you find it first? Why don't you find Hebrews 6? And while, while you're finding Hebrews 6, it's in the New Testament for uh, some of you. Um, it's in the back of the New Testament. But uh, uh, when I was in seminary, I'm sitting in a class one day, and um, I love my seminary. I mean, we, we had a wonderful time in seminary. Seminary was great. It was one of the simpler uh, three years of our lives. But I'm sitting in class one day, and the rumor uh, gets into the classroom that J.I. Packer is on campus. Now, does anybody know the name J.I. Packer? If you've ever heard of J.I. Packer, uh, he wrote Knowing God, which was considered the best Christian book in the, the, all of the 70s. But he's written several things since then, and, and, and he's really well thought of. Anyway, he's almost dead. He's really old now. But J.I. Packer was on campus. But this is in 19, gosh, early 70s, so, you know, 35 years ago. He wasn't old then. But um, anyway, it was rumored that he was on our campus, and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. So I feigned, just to tell you how wicked I am, uh, I'm in a class, and we're teaching something, and I (laughs) feigned. You know, like I was really sick. I was coughing. And I said, I've got to go. And he said, oh, yeah, go So I walked out the door and ran down the hall and went outside to find J.I. Packer, you know, having feigned that I was sick when I wasn't. But anyway, sure enough, um, there was J.I. Packer. He was, over, he was at the chapel, and I found Jack back, and there was a group of people who followed him around, and so I just got in the crowd and started listening. I tell you that to say this. In the midst of hearing J.I. Packer discuss things with these other people, he wasn't looking at me, I promise, he said, probably the most uh, troubling passage for people, for, the, for, for believers today, is Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. And I determined then I was going to figure this thing out. 
And very frankly, I've had some great help in figuring it out. I mean, I, it wasn't my great massive intellect, although I do have one. Uh, it wasn't that that figured it out. It, there's a lot of good help out there. But guys, this is a text that people stumble over on their way to enjoying this. So that's my, that's my full motive, is so that you might understand this so that you can enjoy that. We can deal with this, I promise you. But let's read it. And you'll see why people stumble over it, because it does have... As J.I. Packer says, it's a troubling passage of Scripture. Beginning at verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All right, class. What does that seem to suggest at first blush? What does it seem to suggest? That a Christian can fall away. And it seems to suggest if that Christian falls away then it is then impossible to renew him to repentance, which means he's doomed. Do you see that on the, on the face surface of the text? Do you see it? All right. I, I'm telling you guys, if, if eternal security, if confidence, if safety, if, if, if certainty is important to you, you better listen to this. Because I'll guarantee you, you bring this up at the office over the coffee pot, and somebody is going to say, well, I read something in Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. doesn't say what you said there, boy. They're going to tell you that. So listen, for your own comfort. I'm not trying to, not trying to create a bunch of theological agreement. I'm hoping that you will find joy in this and peace because it's to be had. All right. Guys, there's two lines of argument in, in dealing with this text. There's two lines. I'm going I'm to take you down both of them. One of them perhaps more, in more detail than the other one. The, the, the two lines of argument, one of them, I mean, the second one is slam dunk, I think. Uh, that is, it's an it's a open and shut case. But, but the first one is helpful. So let's do the first one first. And then we'll do the second one second. Isn't that a novel idea? Um, okay, you look at the... the um, the description of this person in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. You, you look at this description, and it seems to be describing a what? A what? It seems, does it not, that it is describing somebody who is a Christian. Let's look at the language. Now, let, let me give you the argument first, and then we'll, we'll take a look at the language. The, the first argument, guys, is this. The description that you find here, although it is very, um, uh, it's very close. It, it looks indeed, like you said, to be describing a Christian. There is language that is being used here that is not definitive. What I'm saying is there are several words in there. I think there's five of them. Um, five. Anyway, we'll find out five or six. There, there are five pieces of description of this person 
that seems to be describing a Christian. But the language is not distinct enough. For instance, you don't find any word in there about justified. You don't find a word in there saved. You don't find any words in this description here about regenerated. Because if we had those words, guys, we wouldn't have any argument here. We would have to conclude that it is describing a Christian. But I want you to notice the words that are used. For instance, it starts like this. Um, For those who have once been enlightened. There's the first word. There's the first part of the description. This is a person who has been enlightened. But ladies and gentlemen, being enlightened is a far cry from being regenerated. Being enlightened is not being regenerated. It's being enlightened. But, you know, it's a, it's a somewhat of a vague term. But, I mean, if you put them with the other four, you think, well, gosh, it seems that it's... Disc-. But I, I'm trying to just point out that the words that are used are not definitive enough. It's enlightened. All right, stay with me. Look at the second one. They're enlightened, and they have tasted the heavenly gift. These are people who are acquainted with or have been acquainted with, they have experienced something about heavenly matters. They have tasted, these people have experienced, they've tasted something that is, we'll just, we'll just stay with the language, it's heavenly. It's otherworldly. But notice again, ladies and gentlemen, it is seemingly describing something but it is not very definitive. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. Let's move on. Stay with me. Um, and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, there is no question that this is the most difficult part of this five-point description. This is the most difficult uh, thing to deal with. I want to suggest to you, first of all, that if you want a classic illustration of a man like this, who, who has, um, what does it say, have shared in the Holy Spirit, the name that comes to mind, at least for me, is a guy by the name of Judas, who was indeed used in ways that can only be attributable to the Holy Spirit's working in him. For instance, God, stay with me. Don't fall asleep yet. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 and 22. You know this text. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, um, And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. By the way, in the New Testament and in the Old, they didn't have uh, um, quotation marks and underlining and italicized words. If they wanted to emphasize something, they repeated it. Here is a man that appears before Jesus and he doesn't say Lord. He says, Lord, Lord. I mean, this guy has worked up about this. He says, Lord, Lord. Um, listen, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not work great works in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Not just cast them out, but in your name? And then Jesus says what? I never knew you. Guys, Jesus is describing a person that has been useful 
in some very religious, dramatic performances or ways, and perhaps even beneficial in kingdom building. And he says that people who have been used like that, that you find recorded in Matthew chapter 7, even those people are not his. Now, guys, turn with me, uh, keep your finger there, and and see if you can find John chapter uh, 16 real quick. Because I'm, I'm, I'm pausing over this one because it is the most difficult. That is, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, if you've got it, verse 8. Let me read it, read it to you. Jesus is, this is the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus is describing the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he says in verse 8, And when he comes, that is, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Gang. There is a work of the Holy Spirit that is performed on this entire planet that is not a saving work. There is a, there is a, a, a ministry of the Holy Spirit that is, that extends even to a sense and a display of power that is still not the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. And have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the power of the, um, of the age to come. Um, they have tasted of the goodness of the word of God. Guys, <laughs> my wife and I, we laugh about this sometimes. We really laugh. I mean, it's happened here. It's happened in this very room within the last four months. Uh, maybe six, but I, I can name names if you, but I don't want, and I won't, but, but guys, I have people on, on, uh, on occasion, and, and I hope this is not self-serving, but I have people come to me and they say, that's the greatest thing I ever heard. You're just, that's wonderful. I, I, well, that's just, oh, it's what I've been looking for for years. I can't imagine this is this is where I want to be. This is my life. Yada 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 yada. I, you know, boy, isn't this great? And you never see him again. They taste something. They taste something about the beauty of this book. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, people unaided by the Holy Spirit can see the beauty of this book. Sit it down. Right next to the Koran. I dare you. I dare you to sit this exalted book down next to the Koran or the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is a Delconic book. The, the Koran does have a, 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 some dignity to it. But my point is, people come and they taste something about this book and they are, they are overcome with its beauty, overcome with its... It's profundity. And in the, within the confines of their own human ability, they grasp some of the argument of this book. But it's, well, guys, non-Christian people through sheer intelligence and natural ability, can see the exalted nature of this book. 
They do it all the time. And then finally, they've tasted of the powers of the, of the age to come. Uh, of the age to come. They're, um, they're, it's mentioning, I think, a, a trait where there are people who speak and believe, I think, in a life after death. They are, they're not a converted man, but they, they know something. Yeah, I believe in, the, in the life after death. You know, I used to, used to, I used to laugh at this um, because when people come to talk to me about the good Lord, I know something's missing. When they're going to talk about the man upstairs, yeah, just something not right there, folks. And when, if you talk to me about the man upstairs, I just want you to know something's going to go off my little brain saying, <laughs> oops, we got, a, we got a ways to go here. Because uh, they, have, they, have, they know something about, yeah, I believe in God, and yeah, man, I believe in heaven, uh, you know, like that hell, but I believe in heaven. I know something about the power of the age to come, yes. Now, guys, do you see my point? My point is you've got a five-fold description here. And when you read it, indeed it does seem to suggest, oh, my, that's a Christian. But you notice that the terms come right up to a line and stop. They don't go far enough. You don't find any words, yeah, they were just justified and saved and regenerated and born again. You don't see any of those words. But you see a description about people who are highly involved religiously. Now, all of these terms combined, I, I'm, I'm with you. I know when you read it, you, 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 you think, man, this, I, I don't, I love this eternal, I don't, I just, what is this? Um, but they, all of those, you put them all together and there is still a definite limit to them. There's no words in there that are definitive that, that would change the conversation. I want you to look, um, well, let me, we're running out of time, but let me, let me just read you one. Um, listen to this one. This is 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to this and compare it to Hebrews 6. This is 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse uh, 9. Uh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit. And such were some of you. But listen. So you used to be you used to be living like that, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see that description? There's there's no way of getting around that one. But this one over here, although it may appear, it still has definite limits to it. Gang, it is possible to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and stop short of regeneration. If you'd like words that are more uh, understandable, it's, it's one thing to be convicted. It's another thing to be converted. You and I have all known people like that. Guys, I have been involved in youth ministries. I was in one when I was in seminary. It was called the... Um, um, well, it was called Capthi. That was a bard from Roland Wilson. But it came to be known as Jimmy's Thing. And we saw kids galore in a little city of Louisville, Mississippi. And we were, every high school kid in town was coming to this Sunday night thing. And they were doing, you know, yee spiritually for a while. 
We had a thing in Ocala, Florida called the Thursday Nighter, and it was the hottest. We had 400 kids, and in in, in our church wasn't, but 200. We had a 400 kids and come into the Thursday Nighter every Thursday night in the summertime, and we'd see kids make all kinds of spiritual statements about this, that, and the other, and then school would start. Football games would happen. Cheerleading practice would occur, and they were gone. I can tell you names of people over whom I have grieved because I thought, there was one guy, Susie will know who this is. I'll just give you his first name. His name was Jody. He was precious. He stayed around for about two years. And everybody thought, man, Jody's gone. Jody's gone. Because there was a lot of stuff that went on in his life. But it stopped short of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, that's one argument. Now, but the slam dunk argument is found in, is contained in verse 9. Let me read verses 7 and 8 to you real quick, and then I'll, we'll shut this up. Um, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to, be, uh, to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. All that means, guys, is that there's two types of, two types of earth, two types of land. The, the rain falls on both types of land, and one of those pieces of land produces fruit, and the other one doesn't. That's all it says. But it, it's, it's helpful in the argument, but the, 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 the close-up shop argument is in verse 9. Now, guys, watch this. Do you want to enjoy this? Then look at verse 9 with me. Though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Hey, there's one of those words. There's one of those slam dunk words. Guys, do you see what the author of Hebrews has done? He gives you this description of this person in these verses. And he says, well, you know, the rain falls on two kinds of land, but the one that brings forth fruit, that's the real one, because the other one is not, that's just thorns and thistles. And then he says, and we are convinced of better things concerning you, you know, things concerning salvation, which means what? That this previous description of this other group are descriptions of things that... Don't describe salvation. Do you see that? Guys, it's a, it's a matter of the apostle saying, there's this group of people, and they have come really far into spiritual matters. So far that they fool the dickens out of us. We all concluded that all was well with their souls. But then, over time, it didn't produce what it's supposed to produce. It only produced thorns and thistles. But, guys, we're convinced of better things concerning you. Because you're different from that group. And you, You are the ones in possession of salvation. And they aren't. 
Guys, I know the language is somewhat difficult. But it's not in any way overturning the beauties of what Paul has taught you in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And he's taught you this. That if you have been justified, justification by faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you are leaning on that finished work alone, that's it. That's all your, not your baptism, not your confirmation, not your teaching Sunday school, not your being faithful to your wife, not that you give a lot of money, none of that stuff. If you are trust, then, no matter how this thing is going, and very frankly, at times it'll go real bad. You know, I, I've, I've done it like this. I've drawn this little line that goes up like this. But it's always kind of pointing up. But if you were to find me right here, you'd say, Whew, I'm not sure our pastor's a Christian. I said this in a sermon two weeks ago. I said, it's not about events. It's about process. And some of the events, guys, don't look real good. They don't look real promising uh, on the nature and status of our soul. But if this has happened, no matter how badly this is happening, this is going to happen. I go to bed tonight and bless God over the great work that He has done for sinners like us. He justifies the ungodly. That'd be me and you. He's justified us. Now, don't let that rob you of the immensity of peace that can be ours. You know, Steve Brown is one of my um, heroes. He says um, he hates to fly. And he says, you know, I really never quite put all my weight down in the chair when I'm flying. I want you to go home tonight. And I want you to put all your weight down. Just sink down in the glories and the beauties of the gospel that we preach that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou will, shall definitely be Father, I do pray that your people might find um, immense joy in, in being able to step over perhaps something that has caused them to stumble in the past. Assure them, Father, that the real thing, the really regenerate, the, the, the born of, uh, of God, the reborn, that they're never going to fall away. And they're not going to fall away because of your great goodness towards us. We're safe. Because he who hath begun this good work in us is going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh God, get on with the perfecting. We long to be more like the Savior. But as we travel towards that goal, 
give us that great confidence that all is well with our souls. We ask it, of course, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks and good night.